Jeez, Dad, not the car again. Oh, happens all the time with old Betsy. Have you checked out Carvana yet? They have thousands of cars for under $20,000. But do those thousands of cars have personality like old Betsy? Betsy's held together by tape. And there are raccoons living in the engine. It's a family car. Uh, there are flames on the hood? Ah, custom paint job. No, Dad, the car's on fire. How many cars did you say Carvana had? Visit Carvana.com to shop thousands of cars for under $20,000. We'll drive you happy at Carvana. James Milner's actually dead. James Milner has been dead for years, my friend. When Arsenal knocks on the door of players, it's a different knock than other clubs. Maybe we'll have a good surprise for you. That's Vieira! Absolutely fantastic! Thierry Henry! He scored! He scored for Arsenal! It is just what Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang does. Gabriel Martinelli has equalised for the Gunners! Welcome back to the Different Knock podcast with Alexander Moneypenny and my very good friend with the best veins in the game, Bradley Adams. (laughs) Never, ever do that again. (laughs) (laughs) I'm too white. I beg you, yes. I'm Um, never going to do that again. Bradley, do you want to explain why I just referred to you as the best veins in the game? Um, I went and donated blood and platelets. I had a platelets test yesterday. Uh, because um, yeah, but not only that, you got called up by the NHS. Yeah, so apparently, um, obviously, because of another lockdown, COVID being very bad again, people who people have stopped um, donating blood and stuff, and because you have to wait, it's it's normally you have to wait three months between blood donations. So if they lose like a certain like is in like a, a chunk of those people going back it's like almost like it will have a massive knock-on effect so i got a call yesterday and it was it was fucking hilarious um because the calls normally take like two minutes they just book you in for an appointment and it's all fine but i had this and it it, honestly the guy couldn't have been more northern irish if he tried i am talking like he was like hello mr adams how are you how are you today i'm just calling to see if you would like to come in and donate some blood again and some platelets. And it was fucking brilliant. And honestly, the nicest guy I'd spoken to. It was the highlight of my fucking day. And he just, we just started chatting that about. That is quite tragic. No, but we just started chatting about like what was going on in the world. And he told me, uh, uh, we started talking about what's going on in the US. And he told me a fantastic joke. And this is how he told me. He was like, oh, do you know what? I've got a joke for you, Mr. Adams. I saw it on the We There Facebook. And I know it's not <laughs> particularly politically correct, but it was a. Uh, if two Trump supporters get divorced, are they still are they still cousins? <laughs> <laughs> and then we just start. Oh, honestly, and we was it was fucking hilarious. And as soon what just the whole time this conversation was going on, I was like, I've got to tell Alex because it was the most stereotypical type of like accent and conversation. That yeah, yeah, yeah. oh, it was fucking brilliant. But yeah, so if you can donate, go donate. Yes, yeah. There's there's those ads ads going around about that at the moment, aren't there? Because I think if you've had COVID, yeah. Carlo Ancelotti's in a um in an advert that I saw on Sky yesterday for he's like, if you can donate the blood, do it for, for the NHS. You want to donate the platelets, please? Yeah, it's <laughs> a strange choice for that advert. Anyway, um, it's just a bit like it's everything because of COVID. It's like just shut a lot of things down and because i've got um for some reason i've got like amazing veins on my left arm uh just means that they can like right, both. they can just like stick a needle in really quick and it's like super easy and they don't have to worry about it and i've also got great blood circulation so it just 
like it just goes really quickly. Like it took me eight minutes and 40 seconds yesterday to do the whole blood donation, two blood testers and two platelets testers. I was gassed. Brad's it's become a race us. now. I'm trying. I'm, I'm trying to beat my own times. It's become a game. I've never um, heard anyone flex about their blood donation skills before. It was great, mate. Oh, mate, I, mate, I've, I've got nothing else to do. I've, I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. keeping a little log. I'm not. I'm not keeping a logbook. I'm not that sad. Um, Listen, if you like, but good. it was good. It was yeah. Just get on my level, guys. Um, yeah. But yeah. So other than anemic, how are you? Perfectly fine. Uh, had a, had a coffee this morning. Was was wonderful. Had a bit of breakfast. Oh, what about you, mate? Great stuff. Can I actually say something quickly before we jump in? So my friend Adam told me this week that he named his career mode manager after you <laughs> because of your because of your work on the different old podcast, Brad. So there you go. Love it. He's going up in the world. Love it. We've got a friend who this week got fifty million. A friend, someone we know. Uh, who got 50 million <laughs> classic someone gets 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 some views and I'm like yeah she's my mate she, I know her um the uh the, we have a friend this week who got 50 million views on TikTok but that's your that's your moment Brad someone's naming their career mode manager yeah. after you lucky you look at me look at me eh oh I fucking made it lads <laughs> he's made it uh so Arsenal football club uh drew with Crystal Palace at the Emirates nil nil last night in what was a pretty unspectacular game. Um, fair result. You know, looking statistically, it was a fair result in that, you know, I think we came up with something like 0.69 XG and they came out with something like 0.71. Yeah, our XG at half time was like 0.02. I know people sometimes don't, or 0.06. I know people, some people don't really care about XG, but I've just bought the book, The XG Philosophy, which I'm interested in reading. Um, the thing with XG, just to kind of touch on it, it's... Sometimes it can be unreliable in the sense of a game, but almost like the philosophy of XG and, and that kind of side of statistics will bear out over a season because you it's like Spurs. Spurs at the beginning of the season massively overperformed their XG. Now they're starting to really underperform it and they're paying the price for not setting up a system where they're at least creating two to three very clear cut opportunities per game. Because now that they are having to do that, they are doing it, but they're just not finishing them. So it's it's kind of bearing fruit, the fact that they were snatching victories from... Like, they beat us with something like a 0.6 XG and they scored two goals. And then they just drew 1-1 with Fulham and they had a 3.17 XG, I think. Yeah. So yeah, it's... It, it does bear out across a season. Yeah, yeah. It, it was a strange game. It's sort of one of those games where I think in many ways what we'll discuss is kind of we've been here before um I felt overall again you know we're on top we had more corners more tackles more aerials one more dribbles more pass success more possession ultimately I felt they had the better chances I felt they were in the better position to win the game they hit the corner uh, they hit the <laughs> they hit the corner bar morning uh they hit the bar um James Tompkins at one point I think Benteke could have it was a good save from Leno at uh, one point from Benteke. So, yeah, I, I, it's just another game, which I think you said before um, before we started recording, that actually it might have been the best thing for us just to remind the executive team at the moment that we're not out of the woods. Yeah, it's baffling that we're now onto the 15th of December and we've not made a signing yet. Yet, a few weeks ago, there was talk of, you know, we're doing deals where we're going to be getting people out, getting people in, and it just, just, just seems like that stalled a bit. Um, yeah, I, I kind of agree with you. And again, it when it comes to the game itself, it... it kind of derives back to the conversation of 
okay, we dominated, but I think that's because of a stylistic choice by both managers. We've set up to dominate and they've set up to allow us to. So again, it becomes difficult to see whether we've dominated a game because of our quality or we've dominated a game because they want to play on the counter. Like uh, like that game against Spurs where it was ve- it was kind of glaringly obvious that we set up to dominate and they set up to allow us to. It was a similar-ish situation. Mm. Arsenal failed to score at home against Crystal Palace for the first time ever. Um, and uh, we failed to score in four of our nine Premier League home games this season. Um, One Rob win Holding in seven. Got... One win in seven at home. Rob Holding also got the most... Yeah, Rob Holding got the most uh, joint most shots with two. Yeah, it's it, it makes for difficult reading and it makes for a, uh, a tricky game to kind of put into perspective because it feels like things have have kind of picked up recently. Obviously, with with some with some decent wins, you know, the West Brom win kind of being a highlight. But you know, without disrespecting West Brom, it's West Brom. Um, the Newcastle game took us to extra time. The Brighton game was a one nil. You know, if if one chance doesn't happen, I didn't feel we were you know particular played particularly well. And the Chelsea game, you know, the, the, what I'm trying to say is there's there's an easy narrative to put together of okay, yes, we won four in a row, but we could also go back over those four games and go, well, well, did we? You know, did we? Did we? I think the point is, you know, as always with these things, it's just about taking a bit of perspective and going, okay, we're in this position. We we have to strengthen and, and look look the 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 signs are good. We'll come on to more kind of transfer stuff after the game, but um yeah we need we need to get some stuff. It done. just shows the fragility of the squad as well that we are two maybe three injuries away from being um a completely kind of toothless redundant side again. You know we lost Kieran Tierney, which is no surprise after putting another hundred and twenty minutes into his legs, um and. You think if we lose, say, Leno and we've got... And again, you know, there was some... I saw a conversation between us and some other guy on Twitter where we... Again, I I agree with you. I think that Leno makes everything he does look spectacular from sometimes a lack of positional awareness. Yeah, I got called out on Twitter. (laughs) Uh, But the thing was, right, and the thing about the thing... you, You guys can head to the Diff Not Twitter and read it if you want. But the ironic thing that the guy said after was, oh, a goalkeeper makes two good saves and the and the and fans complain. We were in no way complaining. We were just saying they were good saves, they were not great saves. They were good saves, they were not world class saves. And this is the thing. When it comes to conversations about I think one thing that a lot of Arsenal fans lack is uh, a sense of almost reality. Of where of where we are, and and it it becomes difficult to become honest about things, and there's no objectivity. Arsenal fans will look at that save by Burn Leno and go, "Oh my God, he's the best goalkeeper in the league. He's pulled out worldy." Whereas realistically, the only reason, like you say, we don't see those saves from Neuer to Stegen, Allison, Edison, Oblak, is because they're a foot to their left and they catch it easily. Or we do, but they're you know from a yard out, or they're from much more difficult situations. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, listen, I'm not going to bash that guy. You know, he's got his opinion and that's a, it's a game of opinions, as, as Harry Redknapp famously said. But I do. Yeah, I think as a, as a kind of jumping off point to discuss this game, it is important to remember where we are um, and to remember that, you know, a lot of these players. It's not that they're it's not that they're bad, but the, the, the level to get to top four has pushed forward in the last three or four years. 
and we've not pushed forward with our players. If you imagine, you know, sort of the level of your Holdings, your Jackers, your Lacazettes, those kind of players, they might have scraped your top four three or four years ago. They don't now. They don't, and they and 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 they can't and they and they can't. Yeah, no, they're perfectly. Some of them are squad members. Some of them are squad members. Like I don't, I, I don't think. I think the contract for Holding is decent news. He's been a bit of a stalwart at that RCB option, and um, has performed well enough to be a second choice right centre back. And I think that protecting somebody that's not only homegrown, so will have some value anyway, as in just being from England because of the. Um, Registration, registration quotas. Registration. What this tweet one? Jonathan Wass. Um, <laughs> just because of those like quotas. Well, it, that has some value in itself. Itself. So protecting him is great. Uh, and this is what we haven't seen from Arsenal: protecting those Rob Holdings, those Callum Chambers, those Scodran Mustafis, mm. so that this summer we could sell them rather than letting mm. them go on a free. Because we're losing something like five players. And you think, even if those players garner five million pounds each from a year left on their contract, that's 25 million quid. That's another Gabriel. Mm. Yeah, it's... And it... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we started the game off. Um, I thought, you know, we, we looked pretty good. I thought, you know, it, it's, it, felt like, it, it felt like a lot of desire was there. I think Tierney said in, a, um, in an interview recently, that's been the focus um, I think our kind of uh, the horizontal. I think what helps was Smith Rowe drifting to the right, and the, in those kind of early stages, it just balances us a lot more. Um, I thought it would provide more balance than it did in, in, the, in the kind of afternoon, in the, in the afternoon, in the in the whole evening, um, but it didn't. Sorry, I just I got to, you know when you get I I got a text and you know when you read a word and you're like. Uh, it offered us more uh, balance in the Friday, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I just thought it, it might have offered us more balance over, over the kind of course of the evening than it did. I felt as though, we'll come on to a bit more bit more later, the lack of a kind of natural left footer on that left-hand side hurt us, but we'll, we'll kind of come to that. What I want to ask to kind of kick this off is, Sabaris had a really good game. Um, what is he? <laughs> like, he's... For me, he's got a lovely kind of wriggling out of tight space thing. It's not quite a skill, I wouldn't put it. Like, it, it feels a bit like seat, seat of his pants sometimes. Um, I don't see it kind of regularly enough. He's got a really... He's quite good at receiving the ball from Leno and, and starting off the, the, the um, you know, the attacking phase. He's quite good defensively. But that's a really strange skill set. And then he, because he's so deficient in other areas, he doesn't feel like a long-term partner to say party. He doesn't feel like someone who can play the Xhaka role. He just feels like such an enigma. And because he's so up and down, like last night he had quite a good game and you could put a partner next to him who makes up for those deficiencies and makes up for his kind of, let's say, lack of kind of, you know, metronomicness, lack of physicality at times. Someone like, you know, like maybe like a party, but because he's so up and down, because he is so unreliable, I, I often find myself looking at Ceballos. And I know this is a strange point to make in the in the light of a game where he's played quite well, and I do want to acknowledge that. I do often think this would be great for us, but you do it so infrequently that it's kind of pointless. Yeah, I think he's a bit of a B-Tech Thiago. In that Thiago for Liverpool, well, again, we've not really seen a lot of him for Liverpool because of the injury. Uh, but Thiago for Bayern 
was putting up a very good amount of defensive actions per game, whether that be interceptions, tackles, um, but also has had that had that low center of gra- gravity and that ability to kind of swivel and could also and is also I think one of the best passers of the ball in the in the current game. I think the way that uh, his almost stroke as he strikes a ball is brilliant. Um, and I just, I think that Danny Ceballos does those things, but just not as well as, he's not, whereas Tiago is excellent at all three of those things, Danny Ceballos is average at all three of those things. And I think if those three things are going to be your skill set as a footballer, you have to be excellent at least two of them to kind of make, which is why I don't mm. think mm, mm, mm. he is a good option for us moving forward. In my opinion, I wouldn't sign him on a permanent fine squad member for this year, but I would let him go back to Madrid because he is another one of these players that I think if we sign and we're still playing in three years time, I'm going, it's not improved what we're doing. It's, it's the same level. So I just... I struggle with him because he has moments of sheer brilliance. But at the end of the day, so did Phil Jones. So, Phil Jones has got a Premier League winner's medal. So did Chris Smalling. So did a lot of players had had just single moments of, you know, Mario Goretzka won Germany the World Cup, now plays for PSV and has gone from... Mario Goretzka? Goretzka, no, Mario Goetzer. Oh, why Goetzer. Goetzer. <laughs> Fucking hell. My brain's not with it today. He's not had his Red Bull. He's, uh, yeah, I, do you know what I did? But it was about four hours ago and he started crushing them before this. Um, Mario Goethe <laughs> won the fucking World Cup for Germany and was, you know, p- going to be this absolute world-beating number 10 talent who was going to set the world on fire and be the most phenomenal player ever and win Ballon d'Ors. And he now plays for PSV after being released by Dortmund. So everyone can do one thing brilliantly occasionally granite jacker is you know count the the perfect almost like model for this like he is the perfect like he could strike a ball so sweetly and cleanly from 45 yards that it flies in the top corner he can put in like he did against zahar a phenomenal last ditch challenge that stops an opportunity or he can tackle and foul somebody and then decide to grab them by the throat and get sent off it's the 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 singular moments of brilliance don't outweigh the averageness. So he is for me somebody that I think we need to move on from, and I don't really know what he. This is what I mean. I don't really know what he is going forward because he's not a DM, he's not a central midfielder, and he's not an attacking midfielder, and he has no particular skill set that's at such an elite level. He can hold down one of those three positions without being a designated CM, AM, or DM. If that makes sense. For sure, and. and- yeah, 100%. And, and as I said, like, and even the things that he's really good at, he's not so elite at them that you forgive it. And he's not so elite at them that he, he's so, he's, he's inconsistent. And this is the problem. And I just watched him in that early period and I thought, this Danny, this Danny Ceballos, who is, you know, taking balls and wriggling out of tight spaces and, and, and spraying it out wide. And had, he had a really nice pass at one point. Um, I think it was, at, it was like a first time pass out to someone on the left wing. It was a gorgeous little touch. That Danny Ceballos is someone we could we could use and could be okay. Stick him next to party, see what happens. But he's not quite um, that player for us. And so you know, as a kind of lone player, I don't think he's necessarily a bad player. But yeah, taking him on a permanent might be um, 
might be a, a poor decision. We'll wait and see on that. But yeah, I thought, um, you know, the game continued. We kind of dropped off a little bit in terms of our desire. Palace got a bit more of a foothold in the game. Eze looks a real talent. Um, he was wriggling out of spaces nicely. The fact and- that we released him when he was 13 is just mental. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think often those release kind of stories kind of push players this forward. This is the thing. And, and we, you know, you never if they hadn't got if they hadn't got released, maybe they wouldn't have had that moment of fuck. I do want to do this and pushed on or whatever. But so it is also know. you never hear about the you you always hear about the Eberichi Eze's who were released and then have gone on to do decent things. You never hear about you know the random Chuba Akpom. Yeah, Chuba Akpom who went to. Was it? Did did he go to Juventus and then Panathinaikos, or was it someone else? No, Tuba Akbom did not go to Juventus. No, but there was one of our. There was one of our. Oh, it was um St- uh, Stefan Mavidi. Stefan Mavidi played for oh, us Stephen at under Mavidi. twenty. Yeah, uh, under twenty three level. Then went to Juventus and now has, has now been released. And there are thousands. Yeah. There are hundreds of. And the, the, yeah. there's so many stories like that, like Chris Willock to Benfica. Everyone was like, oh, we shouldn't be letting this kid go. He's, he looks like a brilliant talent has gone to Benfica. We've not heard a thing about him since. And it becomes like, a ha- it becomes hashtag narrative. And it's will will yeah. the player who we the will the player who we didn't sign over Pepe or the player who released at the 13 score. And it's, you know, it just it becomes an Arsenal bashing thing. Anyway, the um, yeah, I thought they, they kind of got back into the game. I was concerned by our use of of that left-hand side, and I felt that was kind of our downfall. We did miss Tierney. It's been said. It's just obvious, though. We did miss Tierney. Um, we missed someone down that side. I think Maitland-Niles got through once, but really wayward crossover. Um, it was pretty clear. Maitland-Niles was really off the pace. There was one moment where he played the ball back to Leno, but he gave it away three or four times before that. Um, he was sloppy. He didn't look like he was up to the kind of pace of the game and he wasn't making those kind of overlapping runs that Tierney does which means Aubameyang can sit on that inside channel and Aubameyang doesn't get the angles the problem is is about if, if you if you if you stick Aubameyang too far on, onto the wing he can't get the angle to cut in he can't get the angle and he's not a great deliver, deliverer of the ball so he just becomes a left winger which he's not and yeah I thought it's also interesting with Aubameyang that he I, I don't know what what it is I'm watching him at the moment and maybe it's a problem with his ankles. He's got a huge turning circle at the moment. He he's got he's got, he really hasn't got this kind of turn of pace where he can change direction and accelerate away in a way that he used to. I don't know what it is, you know, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I I was watching him on that side with with, with Maitland-Niles and there's a few few times where I think okay, well, you know, Maitland-Niles isn't quite offering you those overlapping runs and could you could you offer him an overlapping runner could you do that but he doesn't seem to want to be doing that equally there are moments in the game where okay yet yeah, he also there is a moment with Aubameyang where Louise doesn't play him through I think it's but... the same com I think it is the same conversation with both players though because I watched in the first 15 or so minutes there was a cut there was one or two runs by Maitland-Niles and I think this is the problem with having two um right-footed centre-backs and or, or, or even that is the problem with not having a single like left-footed player in that I mean we've got Xhaka but we had that whole back line was right-footed what like 70% of our team was right-footed and there were a couple of times when I I, where Louise had the ball and he was looking out to the right-hand side and and I you saw Maitland-Niles making a run and it just wasn't found and I think that after you don't find somebody two or three times and they've made those runs they now know that you're not going to find them if they make those runs. So they stop making the same kind of runs, if that makes sense. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because it almost it becomes futile because what in, in, in effect Maitland Nars is doing is he's putting himself out of position, but in a place to receive the ball to try and help the attacking phase. If you don't find him, you lose the ball and then he is out of position. He's at fault. Mm. So he, there was kind of, and I think when Maitland Niles was massively off the pace last night was with just um, accuracy of, and you, you spoke about it in the last episode, almost like the economy of touches and the accuracy of, of play in that he, he dwelled on the ball for me a bit too much wasn't particularly accurate with his passing game. But I think that that's natural for somebody who has played zero minutes, really, in the last however many games. He's not really been playing enough. You you can't expect somebody to be sat on the bench not playing. And then the first time they get into a game and they start, they it's very, very rare that you have a situation where somebody hasn't been playing at all and then just comes on and has a worldie. Because they have to get into the the kind of ebb and flow of a real mm. game yeah it it's it's really difficult i'm just looking at the past success rates and maitland niles maitland niles is the lowest other than um interestingly Aubameyang and lacazette but for someone in the you know that that left hand side you know Aubameyang and lacazette will be looking for the one twos will be looking for those you know quick passes and, and may be dispossessed and may, may lose the ball a bit in, in that position you can't afford to be having a pass success rate that low um, and he did give it away a few too few too many times. And and again, I think you're right about the the left footedness thing. Um, you know, is there space within the squad for a backup left back? But then does that you know put Cedric and Maitland Niles even further down the pecking order? It's a it's a re- it's a really difficult thing. This is the problem with having three right backs in that we there's obviously been an issue where we either thought that Maitland Niles and I know we're obviously getting off the game, but. We either thought Maitland-Niles was not a right-back or we thought we were going to move Bellerin on. And so we signed Cedric on a permanent. But it's now left us in a situation where we, we have three right-backs because Maitland-Niles plays as he... Play, like, if, if you're talking about where he would get minutes in this squad, it's probably mainly going to be at right-back. And we now, after, you know, getting rid of Kalazanak, which I still think is a great move, have no designated cover there. And again, it is just endemic of a squad issue that we currently have. But it some some it's just some decisions seem to make other decisions that were made by a lot of the same hierarchy or had a lot of the same hierarchy involved in making those decisions very strange. Mm. Yeah, for sure. You know, because we we we, we had the conversation about Edu, and obviously that we're judging him a hundred percent now rather than fifty percent or however many percent before. But it does just make it seem a, as in it, it's deals like this that you know that he would have been involved in in some capacity that makes it look mm-hmm. strange mm-hmm. and worse almost. Yep. Um, interesting. Also, Xhaka was dropping again into that sort of left side of the three when we were in the, in the build up, which you know is what we've been we, we did. I remember very specifically on the first day against Fulham when Maitland-Niles was sort of tucking in on that left hand side. Interesting that Arteta almost deployed him in the exact same role I, I don't know whether maybe you know it, it feels like because we've moved to a four now potentially we might have moved on from that I don't know but you know maybe he worries about Maitland-Niles you know how, how limited Maitland-Niles is as a footballer I think Maitland-Niles in the right role could be could be really good but it's it's interesting I actually thought Xhaka on a, on a, on a separate had a really good game as you say he, he got a really nice a really nice moment where he did a sort of last ditch tackle against Zaha but yeah towards the end of the, that second half Palace were on top 
Um, it, also, it, it's a compliment to Smith Rowe that they were shutting him down so much. I just looked at our um, our heat our heat map, and it's 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 two banks down the side and a and a bank um behind the behind the center circle. There's not much going on in that in that in that center, and I know Smith Rowe drifts out to the right, and I know um <clears throat> he kind of rarely gets those touches from there. He kind of cuts inside, but it is interesting that they you know I saw certainly two or three players around him at most times. Um, interesting. They've they've identified him as the threat, um, which is you know a compliment to Smith Rowe, but a problem for us. You know this kid has got such a football IQ, man. He, there's a moment in the game, um, I forget exactly what was happening, but we were we were playing, we just won possession back from Palace in our own half, um, and most of the players were in our were basically in our box or near our box, and he they play it to Smith Rowe, and. A less intelligent football. It's about 30, 35 minutes in. They play it to Smith Rowe and Smith Rowe plays it back to holding. And it sounds really, really simple, but it's a moment where you just know most other footballers, you know, 80% of footballers in the Premier League would have turned and smacked that down pitch. Smith Rowe, nice layoff to holding. I just watch it and I watch this kid and I go, you know, quite a difficult not a difficult pass, but a pass that, you know, most people wouldn't play or wouldn't risk or will just, you know, just kick it because of the pressure. We'll because just of kick the pressure. Smithrow trusts his technical ability, trusts his teammates. And he's, he's, you know, his movement and his, his ability are really, really good. Obviously it didn't massively come off for him today, but I think that was mostly because of how they shut him down. And we are, we get, I, and we don't have this conversation about it not coming off for him. If Bellerin doesn't go rogue and steal the ball from an open Lacazette. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's, you know? it's moments. Because that ball in that ball is aimed at Lacazette. That ball is yeah. is pinpoint perfect for Lacazette to control and try and finish. I'm not well, saying I, Lacazette's gonna finish it, but I think it took it's... a de- well. I think actually, I think I think it took a deflection. But the point being that you know, as you just said, the na- whole narrative changes, and Smith Rowe is a genius if he gets that assist. The point is, we've got a real talent on our hands, but we're not. You know, when when he's being you know pulled out of the game. We're getting, I almost see it as like a, if you imagine the pitch from a kind of bird's eye view and a kind of funnel that heads towards the left-hand corner or the right-hand corner, it feels like we're doing that. We have so little kind of horizontality, is that a word, when we're in that final third. So feels like we don't move the ball quick enough. We're getting funneled into the corner, having to play back to where there's a bit more space and try the other way. And it just, again, it's almost that horseshoe thing where we don't have that cutting edge in the middle. Um but yeah, Palace look good at the end. I mean, and I think the commentator said, you know, that they'll be the ones who will be happy to get in at half time. Um, again, the Leno save happened from the Benteke header. We discussed that, and um, and it was half time. I don't understand how Bellerin's got a seven point one score on fucking who scored because he was just average. I did. I, I did. Average. I had a thought last night, and like, I think an upgrade at right back would do so much for us. I think because Tierney now is so even good, Maitland Niles are right back. Maybe, but I think he's just more athletic. Maybe, but I I think because Tierney has essentially tra- transformed a lot of our attacking play, and that is a real outlet for us down that left. If yeah. we have someone down that right, it just it squeezes the it, sque- it squeezes the pitch in terms of that that you just shift slightly to the left as a defender because you know there's a right back on the other side who can do the same thing it gives Tierney that just that slight bit of extra space it gives a Bamiang a bit of extra space 
we're getting squeezed. It's the it's the, the kind of funnel thing. That I, and because they know Bellerin isn't an outlet, there's a moment where the, the ball kind of hits him by accident and he gets through. And he's done this a few times this season where he gets through and he is, you can see by his body language, he's, he know he's not, he's not going to take the shot on. He, he doesn't believe in himself. He, he doesn't believe that he can. And we, I've talked about his hips before. I don't know what it is. Maybe he's scared of standing on his left, left, left leg. I don't know. But the, the confidence has gone from Bellerin and he's constantly, I'd love to know the kind of the average angle of his pass. Cause I imagine it's, it's, uh, it's inwards and left, if that makes sense as a kind of average, um, you know, so rarely does he make those kind of overlapping runs. He cuts infield. It's, um, yeah, I, I think we could, if we got an upgrade there, it would, it would really help us. So we had a bright start to the second half. Um, we were pushing really, really high. Um, I, again, I always, I always feel we come out quite well in the second half. Um, Jacques was playing some lovely balls in that kind of 40, you know, inside left channel. Um, but again, to be honest, I just felt sorry for Bamiang because I, I, I felt like he was he was either being crowded out, he was either being not supplied, or he was either you know Maitland-Niles wasn't making the runs. Um, I just I feel he's he's a problem. We've got to we've got to place pretty high on our priority list at the moment. Bamiang, he just feels um, he feels left out. Um, for me, the way to fix the Bamiang issue is. I don't. Th- the way that these games are currently going is just push it, pushing him out further onto that left and making him a bit of a passenger because he's not a left winger and we want him to be drifting inside those channels. And I do think that the only way to really. We need to almost deplo- deploy him like Jamie Vardy. Mm-hmm. Balls over the top, balls through the middle for him to sprint onto. And low touch player. Low, low touch, touch player. like literally one touch finish. That's it. And I think the only way that we do that is playing him through the middle in a certain type of way with somebody like Martinelli on the left, who's going to be more creative, who's going to run. Because there were one thing that I also think is um, pinpoints this Abamyang issue is there was a ball that I don't know. I don't know if it was overhit or whatever, but their right back jumps up and heads it. Heads it away. Bamiyang doesn't challenge for the header. Doesn't try. Doesn't care. And that's an issue. Because in challenging, anything can happen in football, right? He could go up for that header and the right back still wins it, goes out, and he's wasted some of his energy. But also, he could go up for that header, put the right back off enough to head it into a dangerous area. Lacazette picks it up. Smith Rowe picks it up. There's another opportunity. We're putting so much pressure on him to do a lot when realistically the way to get the best out of him is to have him do very, very little. Literally run, one touch, shoot. That is all that we can trust him to do. He isn't good in the build-up. Like you say, he's got this massive turning circle at the moment. And the only way to, to I think, rectify the issue is to play um, a left-sided winger rather than playing a Bamiyang who can do these interchanges with Tierney and we saw that in a, in a few games where playing Martinelli and Tierney where they could have those interchanges where Martinelli can drift into the centre and a Bamiyang can take up that left channel and have his one-two touch bang whatever it just means we're playing better even when we played against Newcastle where he got his goal it was because he 
didn't have to do anything. The ball was crossed into him. He just tucked it in the net. That's what we need to start doing with this man. Not expecting him to dribble 40 yards, smack it top corner. Mm. Not that kind of player. We need to be giving him He's never been that player. No, not at all. And we need to, that's, I think that in my opinion is how we would go about maybe hopefully changing his fortunes. Because if we could change his fortunes and he bangs in another 15 goals this season for us. I mean, it's not the return that we've come to know and expected, but those 15 goals would help us utmost. Do you know what I mean? It would Big just, time. Big time. Again, it's a, it would galvanise us to move forward. For sure. For sure. He, yeah, it's a, it's a real worry. Um, and <laughs> my, um, my partner pointed out, there's so many shots, uh, the cameras of Aubameyang looking sad and tired. And I don't know whether it's kind of a chicken and egg of, okay, the camera's ca- catching him at the right time, but we are getting a lot of TV footage of sad Aubameyang. There's got yeah. to be a... He looks, like a sa- he, lo- he, he looks like a sad boy at the moment, doesn't he? He does. He really does. Yeah, listen, that's... You know, as I said before, there was a moment where Luis, he makes a run and Luis doesn't play him. But he's a player who does well, you know, off the last shoulder, you know, with space to exploit in behind mm-hmm. and uh, in the way that Jamie Vardy does. So he's kind of a player that you can't, you know, we almost, not that we have to build a system around him because I think that's a very reductive way of saying it, but we have to build patterns of play that suit Aubameyang because he's not someone, you know, you imagine the kind of, think about the Wilshire goal or the the kind of Smith Rowe. Smith Rowe is fantastic. He He kind of has that Wilshire type thing where he's the one in the one-two and he's got that lovely kind of third man run and and and, and you know second man run or whatever. Abamyang's not that player who can do the give and goes. Not particularly, anyway. He's someone who exploits space. He's someone who who makes those really really intelligent runs. Is there always when the, when the ball's you know getting getting to be finished after a quick move? You know, think of all the best Abamyang goals, all the classic Abamyang goals. They are finishes they are they are finishes in the sense of not just you know they're not he's not received the ball run a bit and then had a shot he's taken one touch bang or he's in the box finished just one you know one touch Eddie and Ketia style it's a really it's 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 an it's it's a it's an enigma and it's a it's a problem for Arteta to sort out um but yeah anyway um I thought Pe- we are, well. We had the substitutions. Pepe came on. Um, Party came on. It's good to have him back. Um, he did look a little bit off the pace, but I thought he kind of warmed up a little bit. Um, a few moments where he was complaining at Bellerin. One thing that I saw him do that I thought was really important was he just bulldozed through Eze at one point. Just bulldozed through him, knocked him over, and I think so often, like Zaha was throwing himself to the ground, like no one's business yesterday uh there were some other choice phrases but um, (laughs) maybe not too um not pg enough is that what the different podcast is pg yeah we got to keep it pg baby um whilst obviously there was a lot of free kicks given for zaha because of that play or whatever one thing we never really did is we never went in hard on Eze. Literally, first few minutes on the pitch, just went straight through him. Just And it, it creates almost a dynamic of making players know that that's there and that could come. 
So players could, and I, it's a, it's it's not a particularly pretty side of the game, but it's a side of the game that exists nonetheless. That's to Saka. Yeah, and that we haven't been particularly smart at doing at times. And I think that hopefully with the inclusion of party a bit more often, that might come a bit more. Yeah, yeah. He, but yeah, I've, uh, I agree yeah, he, he's, with you that he was a bit still, a, he's coming back to it. He's rusty. He's rusty, And that's fine. You know, he's been out for a bit and, and that's, that happens. But also he just, you know, you look at, if you watch him, he's he's often when we're building out, he's that he's in he's in that he's that midfield general. It's a very simple thing to say, but he is. There's four players around him. He's in the middle of those four players. He's attracting players. He's attracting um, and, and making space around him. He is just one of those players who who makes us so much better. Um, we yeah we 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 appeared afraid of that kind of vertical ball through the middle. There was another moment with Sabios where Lacazette made a run and he just didn't play that ball. I think we're scared on some level of, of playing those balls just because we don't want to lose the ball. But it's like, guys, well, if you don't try, if you never shoot, you'll never know. As the 1975 once said, um, I think Pepe, <laughs> that, Brad doesn't get that. <coughs> Gross. Um, Pepe uh, came on. I think the problem with Pepe, because I thought maybe, okay, let's switch Saka to that left-hand side. He tries. He tries hard, doesn't he? But he just... I don't know what it is about Pepe. It feels to me like he's trying to change the world. Pepe's another one we're not using. But it feels to me like he's trying to change the world on his own. You know, he doesn't just do his work and get on with it. But I do think that that's also kind of speaks to a problem of Bellerin. Bellerin does not aid his right wingers a lot of the time. No, it's true. Bellerin often is an issue for our right-sided players in that he takes up space that could be occupied by other people he almost becomes a roadblock to building through that right hand side which is why like you said like you said if we either i don't i I would want to give maitland niles a run of games at right back to see whether we need to purchase an upgrade because if maitland niles is a perfectly serviceable right back who can create patterns of play with our right midfielder right winger and get in and around those areas then fine i think you know he's athletic enough to cover the distance and we've seen that he's got a good amount of defensive acumen to pocket some of you know the best league's wingers you know he's been brilliant at points Mm. but the the Bellerin I think is one of the reasons why Nicolas Pepe always looks like he's trying to change the world on his own and another reason is we're never playing to his strengths he was at his best at Lille operating as almost a second forward striker kind of thing where he would literally be like it's almost like the FIFA formation, the four-three-two-one, where you've got a right forward and a left forward. It's almost like he's that right forward, and then it becomes a two. And he's another one that you can't. He's not. There are very few players on this planet that can take the ball, the ball, dribble it past four, five, six people, and then brilliant ball into the centre or smash it top corner. He's not one of them. So. We need to stop playing him in a way that... not consistently enough. Exactly. And we need to stop playing him in a way that forces him and forces that to be the only thing he can do. Mm. I think, yeah, I think you're right. I think he's just asked to do too much. And it's it's concerning because, you know, fuck the outlay on him. The player, the, the value, the asset, this guy we've got, who is clearly talented. We're, again, we're not using him in the in the correct correct way. And I, and I hope, 
you know, it's the same as the Urzel situation. It's the same as the current Abamyang situation. We have it, and it's like you said last week. We're currently using square pegs in round holes rather than just creating square holes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which I think obviously comes from a situation where Mikel Arteta wants to play a certain brand. All round pegs. Yeah. Wants to create a certain brand or type of football that he wants to play, but doesn't quite have the personnel to do it. And as much as I empathise, I don't give a shit. We've got to do the best with what we've got. Like we've we've got to we've got to we've got to make Nicolas Pepe look good. So even if and I'm at a stage with him where I think. It looks like we're not going to use him in his in in the right system. We're not going to play to his strengths, sell him in the summer. So what we need to fucking do is play him well over the next three to four months so he gains some value and then we can sell him for 40 million quid rather than for 20 million yeah. quid. I'm just, I don't want to get into a, you know, a, a squad building conversation now, particularly because we've had it so many times. But, you know, I'm looking at that team and we've, you know, there's very few players that I think, yes, I'd like to see you in this team long-term. And that's the problem. And the game fizzles out and you're looking around, you're going, okay, who, 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 who is going to, who would, who would change this game? Who would win this game for us? Saka when he's 25. Smith Rowe, and maybe now as well, but you know, if we're lucky, but Saka might change his game when he's 25. Smith Rowe might change his game when he's 26, 27. Other than that, the players we've got are not, at the level required and are not going to push us up the table. And we are where we are because we are where we are, if that makes sense. We are, we are where we are on the table because we are where we are squad-wise. Um, I don't think it's that much of a coincidence. And I think yeah. that's why it's the so... The way cons- we play, we're, eighth, we're, eight, we're easily 8th to 10th place. Like, it's not, it's not that we're in the wrong place at the moment. Yeah, that's why it's concerning. There's so few um, reports going around. That's why it's concerning. There's so... Okay, you know, Socrates might be off and, you know, but what's frustrating to me and just to kind of round off the discussion around the game is that, you know, okay, yes, the Saliba and the Kalasnach deal happened very quickly. If these things, if Socrates was going to go, if Mustafi was going to go, if other players were looking like they were leaving, why not get them out on January the 1st? And I appreciate, yes, okay, there's... We've had four months to deal with the deal. Yeah, and, and listen, I'm not pretending I'm Edu and I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying that at all. But the... And there's probably things going on about, you know, why isn't Urzel out the door on... You know, why haven't we had these discussions around, around you know, because supposedly, according to Fabrizio Romano, they're having discussions about cancelling his contract. Supposedly, we don't want to pay him the money that he's owed this year, which, you know, again, whatever. But... More the point is, why were we not having these discussions months ago? It just feels, again, like a club in a bit of a chasing its own tail. And and we are. And that's and that's where we are because of where we've been left in. And that's, that's again, not a... It's not a new problem. It's not a new thing that I'm discussing. But it is frustrating that we appear not to be... You know, because I think I, I said before when we were in the kind of crisis mode, I was like, I'm giving them this window and then I'm really starting to judge. Especially Stan Kroenke, because yeah, if, if, think... if, if we're penny-pinching yeah. where we are, that shows that shows something. Well, also the fact that there's a few things that it kind of spins off of that for me. The Ozil situation, I think, is difficult because he's the one that you could have seen, obviously, dragging past because it obviously dragged past the summer. But if, if we were considering cancelling his contract now, we should have cancelled it in 
September. But again, he's another one that because of the amount of money he's on, the amount that it would cost, that was always going to be difficult. The deals that piss me off that they've not been done yet are the Socrates deal because there's been interest in him. We could have gotten rid of him for free to Napoli in the summer. And he's on like 90k a week. So realistically, we've paid this guy about 360 grand for the last four months, maybe even five months if he'd gone a month before. We paid him 90 grand a week. Well, no, that 360 grand is, is a month. So we've paid what? We paid him a couple of million quid to not do anything, to lose him on a free anyway. If Socrates is going on a free, and if he goes on a free on, on January the 29th, that is a failure by Edu and by the technical team. Because the only way that it then becomes a win is if we get a fee for him. If we get a £2 million fee on January the 29th versus letting him go for free on January the 1st, fair enough. But if he goes for free before the end of this window, that is a failure. The same as any of these players. If any of these players leave for free, bef- uh, uh, like in the latter stages of January, which means that it's harboured the business that we can do in the earlier state, because it is getting to the point where we will not be able to do business in January because people are smart. Clubs are smart. They will see us. Norwich will see us on January the 21st after we've gotten people out going in for Buendia and going, oh, well, you're a bit desperate now, aren't you? Because you've left yourself without the time needed to go and get another target. So that's an extra £10 million you can pay us. And this is the this is the problem with all of this shit is like fuck it we're in this position and we're in and sort it and not only are we out. in this position everyone knows we are in this position so they're gonna fucking hide we've the had prices. four months we've had four months to sort out deals for Socrates for Mustafi for all of these people just so they could fuck off on a free send Mustafi to Barcelona for free if they want him mm. because it mm. frees Opens up, up the, the squad and, yeah, it frees yeah, up the wages it frees up the registration places. You know, on transfer market, we've currently got a squad that is 71.4% foreign. And I don't mean that in a, it's Brexit means Brexit. I mean that in the sense of we have to have a minimum of eight homegrown players registered. Like we've got 20, which means when we're allowed to register 25 people, we currently have 28 players that can be registered. Like it. We're in a massive, we've got too many players and we should, and it's like this whole talk about Eddie and us saying that we're not going to sell him to West Ham. Why the fuck not? Mm. Eddie has not shown anything, anything that proves that he could be a very good Premier League striker. He's passable. He can go to a Crystal Palace or a West Ham and probably play there. And it's like this, 10th, 11th, 12th. Like the kind of mid to lower table of the Premier League is Eddie and Ketia's level. If we want to move past this level, we need to sell players like Eddie and Ketia whilst people like West Ham are interested. Agreed. Agreed. Anything else on the game, Bradley? Um Nah. We'll be back after this. Jeez, Dad, not the car again. Oh, happens all the time with old Betsy. Have you checked out Carvana yet? They have thousands of cars for under $20,000. But do those thousands of cars have personality like old Betsy? Betsy's held together by tape. And there are raccoons living in the engine. It's a family car. Uh, there are flames on the hood? Ah, custom paint job. No, Dad, the car's on fire. How many cars did you say Carvana had? Visit Carvana.com to shop thousands of cars for under $20,000. We'll drive you happy at Carvana. 
Welcome to News and Views. Uh, this is all the latest Arsenal news, all the goings on during the week. So, firstly, I wanted to note uh, to note Meza Özil's Arsenal Q and A, where he was asked, "Who is your top Arsenal eleven in the era you played for the club?" Oh, he puts, <laughs> "Okay, I'm sure you've seen this, but it is really funny." He stuck David Espina in goal. Chosen Sanya over Bellerin, which is the thing is with all these, it's like it's fine, but you currently 100%. play for the club, so it's just a bit of a weird thing. Like you're in, I mate, I choose, I don't care, I choose Sanya over Bellerin no, any day. I, I would as well, Brad. But what I'm saying is, I don't work with Bakary Sanya. I work with Hector Bellerin, so, and I play with him most of the time. So it's a bit of a strange. Alex, Alex, Mezet doesn't play anymore. <laughs> no, but he's training with these guys. It's just a strange decision. He's put Koscielny and Mertesacker. He stuck Kalasanac over Tierney, which I know is his mate. But again, like... Kalasanac did save him from knife attackers. I think... That is true. It was very nice of him. That alone, the, Bos- the Bosnian was going to be yeah. in there. Um, he stuck Kozula and Ramsey in the midfield, which is fair. Which is fair. Uh, Serge Gnabry. <laughs> He's then stuck himself at Cam, which is, which is, which is fair. Uh, Sanchez on the left and Aubameyang up front. So he has uh, zero current Arsenal players. <laughs> oh, Aubameyang, Aubameyang, sorry. I'm, I make a mistake. And himself, kind of. Close he has one registered one Arsenal player, let's say that. Also, I really enjoyed, he got asked a question about Emil Smith-Rowe and he said, uh, oh, I'm really, I'm really uh, happy for him. Uh, let me find it. It's the bitterness. He's it's made the-, the difference in the last couple of games as a, as a number 10. Really happy for him and that he showed that playing with a number 10 still can make sense in today's football. Fucking bitter. Um, we also had the news about Holdings contract, which we've kind of covered. Yeah. It's only strange thing. I mean, listen, I think it's, again, as we've discussed, it's good squad management. It's a kind of... You know, um, it's it's for me, it's the sort of thing that we weren't doing. It's an encouraging... Um, encouraging step because Holdings is the sort of guy who you know let's say a year two years down the line we're all going all oh, holding we could have got 30 40 million out of him if he was if he was in good form and now we're probably going to get 10 15 million you know selling him a yeah. cut price with 18 months left or whatever so it's good the only strange thing was that it's only till 2023 i i have a a thing about why i think they've done this to this level um it's with the option of a fourth year so it could go till 2024. And the reason that I think that they've done it exactly this length is Saliba's coming back, hopefully to become a mainstay at that right centre-back. We've also signed Omar Rekic, who's already training with the first team. And I think it might just be a very clever point of view that we're looking, well, if we've got Saliba and Rekic coming back in 2022 summer, when Holding's got two years left on his contract. So you're talking about a year and a half's time. Saliba will be 21, I think. And I think Rekic will be around the same age. But then on that left-hand side, you'll have Mari, who'll be 29. And then Gabriel, who'll be 25. And as an age profile of having four centre-backs with two of them at 29, two of them at 21, one of them at 29 and one of them at 25, I don't think that's that bad. And even if we keep hold of him at that point and maybe sell him a year later when they're 22, 26 and 30, I think, again, it just, I think that may be why we've not gone, let's let's time down for five years till 2025 because it gives us an easy out. Because one thing that um, a lot of people forget about contracts uh, is that you are paid very well at Arsenal. 
we we pay a lot of people very well to the point where if they go to a West Brom, they will earn less money over the span of a two and a half, three year contract than they could here for a year. That is why we've had such an issue shifting certain players out because they've gone, I will make more money staying here for a year and then going to a Schalke or then going to a, a Real Betis and earning half my wage for two and a half years than I would be going to Real Betis now and earning half my wage for four years. This is where this issue has come from. So making sure, because obviously he'll have had a pay rise because of this. He won't have just signed on at the same wage. His agent will have negotiated a pay rise because they obviously know that the club is in a situation where if they said no, then he's 18 months away left from his deal or whatever. So, it's good that we've not tied him down for so long. It's good that we've given him three years with an option of a fourth. Because if we decide that we want out, it's not going to be a situation where the player can will just refuse because he'll go, oh, well, I'm only going I'm gonna, I'm only going to get another couple of years at a club. So I'll sit here, I'll take my money and then I'll go. Because, it will le- because footballers at the end of the day have a very short lifespan. And I know I'm rambling, but they've got a very short career lifespan, which is one of the reasons... They die at 33. <laughs> but it's one of the reasons that Meza Ozil will have sat on this contract and been paid from it because where he's going to go next he's not going to earn anywhere near the amount of money he earns here so James Milner's actually dead James Milner has been dead for years my friend yeah he's a myth no you're you're completely right mate you're completely right Um, and I I completely agree it's just finances and people forget that footballers have financial advisors that sometimes will probably tell them no stick out your current contract collect your payday and then fuck off yeah and the, and the more player power increases, the, the less choice clubs have. So, listen, it, yeah, a good squad management. And I think, you know, you're, our kind of speculative, you know, Rekic and Saliba and Gabriel Amari, you know, that's, yeah, certainly certainly something to, to, to keep an eye on. Um, Hector Bellerin brought out a nine-part series about his injury. Interesting. Yeah. Will I be watching nine but- parts of it? <laughs> I don't know, actually, because I think it it's probably it's one of these things like the prime documentaries. Okay, the Spurs one is complete propaganda. But um it at least allows you into a part of the game that you have not seen before. And I think even in these Spurs documentaries, there'll probably be way more detail in this in this Bellerin one. Will I watch the first few episodes? Yes. If it's boring, will I watch nine parts? Fuck no. It's not that it's boring, it's just it's an it's a nine times 20 minutes what's that three so hours an hour and f- is it a three hours well 20 20 times 20 times three is 60 so there's an hour oh and shit a yeah three oh. hour thing like you know i'm sure it's interesting but three hours I, I just i watched the first like sort of five ten minutes and they showed the clip of him taking the, getting the injury about it's just a bit slow brad <laughs> just like i'm not you know fair play to him and I, I will watch it and kind of Maybe skip a bit, but you know it. It, it, it looks interesting. Anyway, Hector Bellerin's released. Uh, uh, I think it's called like, oh, what's it called? The Way Back or something. I don't know. Um, but anyway, looks interesting. Um, and good for Hector. Listen, you know it's something he's obviously proud of and something he's worked on hard on. And here I am bashing it. So there we go. Um, <laughs> uh, news just out. Uh, our penultimate bit of news. Kieran Tierney looks okay. Could be back for Monday. Ornstein's reported. Um, supposedly the oh, MRI amazing. was fine. Um, he looks okay. Mari is Thank out for a couple of couple Lord. of uh, weeks, supposedly. But yeah, you know, we've got Gabriel back now, so I think he would have been first choice. 
Um, yeah, so that's good news on Tierney. Final bit of news. Richard Garlic. <laughs> Lol. Uh, Richard Garlic is a, a man. He is... Uh, hang on, just stalling while I find my... Here he is. He was the director of football for the Premier League from August 2019 to now. He was director of football administration at West Brom from May 2010 to July 2018. And he will come in as our director of football operations, as reported by David Oldstein and various others. Uh, he's got a keen interest in young players and development. He's got a background in law, so he'll handle contracts at the club. He's basically replacing Hus Farmy. Um, there's been some quotes from Arteta on his appointment. Um, he said, we lost Hus Farmy at the start of the season. He had a really important role because he's a very important link between myself, Edu, the technical director and the board and Vinay. We needed a person with a lot of experience who knows the job really well, who has all the connections in English and international football. I am really happy with this move. Uh, it seems like a really smart thing. He's a guy, he firstly, legal background, so knows about contracts, has literally done it at both football and Premier League level. So he has con- contracts, uh, contacts at club level and also, you know, more executive level and will know a lot of executives and will have those contacts. Um, someone who is, I think he's 42, I deduced. It doesn't actually have his age anywhere, but um, he, I think he's, it said he was 41 in an article a year ago. So that makes him 42. Um, and uh, he, um, he, yeah, he, he, you know, experienced enough, but, you know, with with room to grow. Um, also interesting that he's not, you know, head of football. He won't be interested on the kind of actual footballing side of things, but he will be in the football operations so, you know, handling contracts, handling squad management, handling uh, supposedly his roles at West Brom where anything from, you know, a, the police have come in with a parking fine for this player. Can you deal with it? It's that sort of thing. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm re- it's a really good appointment and Arteta seems happy with it. So if Arteta's happy, I'm happy. Uh, I think we needed someone in that role and it'll be good to get that experience in because I think our contract, contract management is obviously not, not the best. I think there were some comments from Arteta in the week saying... Something like we we haven't got the contracts we want at the moment, and that's that's where we are. So they know they have a lot to work on. But um, yeah, Richard Garlic. Of course, he's called Richard Garlic. Could he not have had any other name? Do you know what I mean? Dick Garlic. Fuck's sake. Yeah, I uh, I think I, I agree. We obviously needed somebody to replace who's Farmy, and this is I think the best that we could go for. Obviously, we're not going to be able to poach the people that work for. United, City, Liverpool, all of these teams. We're going to have to look to poach people who are doing really good jobs from elsewhere, you know. So he seems to have done a good job in other roles that he's been in. We'll see if he does a good job here. Who knows? And it, at least it looks better than the Who's Farmy appointment, who, like, I think his previous experience was working for Sky or something stupid. And that, yeah, it was like Sky Cycling. And then that was it. And you just think, like, yeah, yeah, you, you, you get what I mean. It's just... At least there's experience. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a really well it's a really well researched appointment, and I'm I'm glad I'm glad because it's it seems like the kind of expertise we need, and they're obviously happy with him. So you know, at the end of the day, that's we've yeah. that's the appointment we're getting. So that's, that's that, babes. That's that. All right, mate. All right, Brad. Uh, any plans for the rest of the day? Uh, nothing really. I think I'll probably take the dogs for a walk at some point. Gonna show anyone off your veins? Yeah, just. Get them ready. <laughs> be, be a good drug addict. Uh, yeah, that was a joke that um, when I first, genuinely the nurse when I first gave my blood made that a joke, and she, and she literally said, "You'd find it, you'd find it easy to be a drug addict, wouldn't you?" I was like, "Yeah, you were." <laughs> uh, 
Eyes twitching. No, I wouldn't. What, what, what are you on about? What are you talking? <laughs> oh, uh, uh, Breaking Bad. Yeah. Updates. What, what What do you want to know? Are you watching it? If If I've been watching it, or shall I just leave you in suspense? Oh bloody hell! The audience, Brad, you can't do this to people. They'll be. They won't sleep tonight. Guess we'll find out on the next episode of the <laughs> Different Not Podcast. <laughs> We'll see you after the Newcastle game, hopefully after an Arsenal win. Um, frustrating, nil-nil, but it's a sign of the times, a sign of where we are, and hopefully we get a bit more. Hopefully it kicks us up the arse to sign somebody. Yeah, could be a blessing in disguise. All right, guys, uh, stay safe, uh, wear your masks, and don't do anything stupid. Peace. Peace. Thank you so much for listening to the Different Knock podcast. Please hit subscribe or follow on whatever platform you're using. If you'd like to support the show, you can find us on Patreon and buymeacoffee.com, find us on Twitter at DiffKnock, and visit our website, thedifferentknock.com. Thanks. Podcast Network.